DJ, PK, and Jared Weiss joins us now, Boston Celtics staff writer for The Athletic. Jared, good morning. Always good to be here. Glad to have you on the air. A back-to-back, and you answered the call, so you are our hero. Good work. Hey, sleep for suckers during the basketball swing. That's how it is. <laughs> well, I guess the question is, are the, are the Celtics going to answer the call in the back-to-back? How have they been on back-to-backs this year, especially the road back-to-back, the time zone, the disrupted sleep, all that stuff? What do you expect? It hasn't really hurt them too much, but they also haven't they haven't had a back-to-back like this out on the West Coast, so this is also a very interesting one. But they handled Portland pretty handily last night, and they, they didn't burn out the starters. They were able to get most of the starters out at the end of the game, which definitely helps a lot. So this should, you know, they should be fairly fresh uh, for Utah. Um, and it probably is going to be a relatively lower-paced game, so it's not like they're going to be, you know, like, you know, trying to catch their breath from all the running that they're doing up and down the floor necessarily by the third quarter. So I think this is probably set up so that it's not going to kill them necessarily on the back-to-back. How much do you have to deal with management in your position? Deal with the team's management? Uh, Celtics management. Uh, To a degree, sure. I mean, as a reporter, you interact with uh, the front office on occasion. Uh, you you interact with the coaching staff much more. For right, them, right. I was just wondering if you had any uh, interaction with Austin Ainge, because he played here at BYU, and I never really did like him. <laughs> really? Austin's no, like the nicest guy I, ever. I'm I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was uh, great. Okay. He was yeah, great. Yeah. I, actually, uh, I actually loved talking to him. He had a great basketball mind. He loved to challenge strategy. And I always thought that, uh, you know, he was limited in his playing ability. He played well, but, you know, obviously he wasn't going to go on to play in the pros. But I always thought he had a keen basketball mind, and he loved to talk basketball. I'm wondering if you've been able to figure that out. Yeah, he, well, he also had a hell of a jump shot. Give him credit for that. Yeah, but, he, was, he was fine, um, but he wasn't an NBA player is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, but he um, yeah, he's one of my favorite guys to talk to uh, before the games. You know, it's well, what I do enjoy one of the probably one of the most fun parts of the job is that before the game starts, pretty much everybody from the organization is standing around the court for both teams, and that's where you get to kind of mingle and talk to the front office people, talk to agents, stuff like that. And so he's uh, he's always great to talk to. He he is one of the best scouts out there, and you know, give credit to the Celtics that. They've done some. They've done some pretty great drafting over the years. You know, uh, getting a lot of players in the late first round that they've been able to turn into rotation players, uh, bringing in overseas free agents every single year and bringing them into the rotation. They've had a lot of success with that, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, if you can remember, tell him we said hi because he's been on our show many times over the years, and we always enjoyed talking. With him. Oh, for sure, for sure. So, full disclosure, I can't tell you how many times I was at BYU covering a game, and PK and I'd be talking, and Austin would say something nice to me, and then he'd have some sharp comment for PK that would elicit <laughs> either a giggle or a groan, depending on what it was. Uh, they, they could dish it out back and forth pretty yeah, good. I, it was pretty entertaining. When he was playing at BYU, I was the beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. So, uh, I mean, obviously, when you're the beat writer, you get to know kids uh, very well. So, yeah, we and we were both from Arizona. So, uh, as I say, I always enjoyed my interactions with him. 
That's a small world. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm curious. One of the one of the cool things that. Uh, that the Celtics have done is uh, not using that number one pick, moving down, getting their guy, and it proved to be the right decision. How much is Tatum blowing everybody's mind right now, the way he's playing and, and the way he's scoring, especially with Kimball Walker out? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's been playing at a superstar level lately. Uh, I think he – the way that he's been playing over the last month or so, he's – clearly broken through into that star level. He's made the all-star team. He's putting up almost 30 points a game over the last, over the last uh, 10 games or so. Uh, he, he just, you watch him play and they, that swag is there. It's just, he, he's playing with a level of unshakable confidence where I mean, he's, he's taking clear out three-pointers, he's doing them. He's attacking the rim with ferocity and composure, which was you know, two of the things that he was missing even earlier in the season. So he he said he he got so much better over the off season, and then has had another metamorphosis over the course of the season. And Jalen Brown also as well has just been a little bit quieter, probably just because Tatum is out here taking step back thirty footer threes and burying them. So he's getting the more flashy stuff done, but. He, um, I've been as high as anybody out there on Tatum, and even he is ahead of where I thought he could be. Um, I mean, this is this is like year five on my projection calendar for where I thought he would be. He's already there, so you know, the sky's the limit for him. He's going to be, you know, just like with Donovan Mitchell. It's like the things that he's doing. It's like how how good could he become? It's hard to even imagine that there's a ceiling for those kind of guys. So they got a lot of talent. They're a good team, but yet they're still third in the East, obviously trailing the Bucks, who are looking like they're all that. And Toronto, I guess you could say, has been a little bit of a surprise. But nevertheless, my thought for you regarding the Celtics is going forward, they still need to pick it up a little bit, I think, to be a serious NBA contender. I think they're a contender, but in order to get at a higher level, are they going to make changes? Are they going to allow kids like Brown and Tatum to grow into it so when in their fifth and sixth years they're heading into their prime and then they'll be ready? Or maybe a combination thereof. Yeah, I think you know the question is what kind of addition do they need to make uh, next off season? Because well, the, I mean, obviously we have to see what happens this year. Um, they might be in third place, but frankly, they're playing like a straight up title contender right now. It's just that Toronto and Milwaukee are just like won't lose. It's kind of it's insane. Like they, those teams are playing at historic levels and. I think that when you get to the playoffs, I think the record will matter less and things are going to even out a little bit. Milwaukee is, I mean, Milwaukee is one of the best teams I've seen ever, really. So we'll see, uh, we'll, I mean, at least uh, from the way they're performing, not necessarily on paper, but the way that they're performing, I mean, they can't lose and they're on pace for 70 wins. So, you know, they'll probably be on their own tier of any team in the NBA when we get to the playoffs, but. You know, where you are in the standing, stuff like that, it doesn't really matter as much when you get to the playoffs. You're in the seven-game series. The Celtics clearly have the talent to win um, the title this year. It's just that they need everybody to be on top of their game. They need to be shooting really well, and they're going to need some luck with the opponent not shooting well and to make some turnovers if they're going to get that lucky. And so if they, if they make a really serious finals run, then there's no point of messing around with things. I think you're trying to keep Gordon Hayward around, or if Gordon Hayward wants to sign a massive deal somewhere else, then you try to 
use that as a sign and trade opportunity to get more talent in. But otherwise, all they have is their mid-level exception at that point. Um, and maybe a little bit of, you know, they have some trade chips that they're drafted, so they can, they can try to make a move, but they're not going to be able to bring in, like, another star unless they're going to send out one of the best players. And their core is proving to be incredibly effective. So I wouldn't mess with it unless there's something really spectacular available. And his canter was in Utah, and he could score and he could rebound, but, man, everybody attacked his defense and scored at will. How much has that narrative changed over the time, and how much has it stayed exactly the same? It stayed exactly the same. He, um, it's, yeah, so he actually he deserves some credit. He has, he's become – he has great hands. And the one thing that he has gotten better at is that when guys attack him, he's really good at swiping at the ball and getting steals and deflections like in a way that we never really see from big. Usually when a big man's getting attacked, he has his arms up, he's trying to block the shot, while Ennis, he's trying to snatch that ball away while the ball's still on the ground. And he's been able to save himself in some huge moments by pulling that off. But, on the other hand, if any team gets him out in the pick and roll, he still struggles significantly to, to contain them. And that's, that is something that has not changed. But, between sleeping on the ground, um, you know, he's actually been probably their... He statistically has been their most effective defender against Joel Embiid, who's the you know the main guy that they have to get through in the Eastern Conference on the block. Um, you know, he's been good as a post-up defender for the most part, so he's not a complete sieve and a complete waste on the defensive end. But he it's it, he's, he has proven to be enough of a weakness on the defensive end out in space that a lot of the times the Celtics they try him in the first half and then. It doesn't work, and they don't bring it back out in the second half. And I wouldn't be shocked if that happens again tonight, except that he's probably matchup-wise the best guy that they have against Gobert as far as size and power and and length. So uh, maybe he'll probably get more minutes of this matchup. So I found that interesting, what you're saying there, as far as the Celtics going forward, you know, moving one of their uh, higher-paid guys to get somebody else in. And you look at the roster – and it screams like that guy is Hayward. Do you think that will happen? I don't at this point think it's going to happen. Um, the, the big question mark is whether Hayward opts out of the final year of his contract. Um, he, so he has one year left uh, in the, the low 30s. And with everything that's happened with him in his career, it wouldn't be surprising if like, he would be willing to take a, a yearly pay cut so that he could get a long-term deal. If he could get a four-year deal at this point in his early 30s, that might be the, you know, he might decide that that's the move for him. Um, and then the question is whether, you know, whether he would want to stay in Boston or not. And while things have been really tough for him for a long time in Boston, now things are finally great. It's, you know, it took, it took a couple of years. He finally is healthy. He's finally playing, you know, close to the player that he was before he got injured. He's finally a key part of a competitive and he, you know, I think he's in a place where he's pretty happy, and he doesn't want to mess with that necessarily. And frankly, if he wanted to become a free agent, there's not real. There's all the teams that have the cap space to sign him right now. They're all bad teams. There's not a, there's not a single one out there that could make a move for him that he would be contending for. But there's sign and trade possibilities, so you never know. You could, it seems like the way the free agency is going to go nowadays is. With the ease of signing trades, you could pretty much go wherever you want, even if he doesn't have cap space. So it'll be hard to figure out what happens from there. 
I don't think there's much of an impetus to trade him at this point um, just for the sake of trading him. But if he decides he wants to go get a four-year, $120 million deal somewhere and the Celtics don't want to commit that to him, then they may have to do a sign-and-trade deal. But the likelihood of a sign-and-trade deal netting positive value is extremely low. Is he deferring and fitting in there, or is he all the way back and, and capable of dominating, or is he limited and this is really what he's got, given the injury, his age, this point in his career, all that stuff? I think it's, um, I think it's probably halfway between those two. It's, I think that he's definitely the, he's clearly deferring, he's clearly sitting back. Um, but he, isn't, he's, he definitely can't finish the same way that he could before he was hurt. I think almost everything else in his game – his perimeter game, his mid-range game, you know, all those, you know, kind of hesitation moves and quick hard stop floaters in the lane that he was so great at. He's got pretty much all that stuff back, but he doesn't he doesn't quite leap over people and finish the way that he did with years in Utah. And we, we just saw that become a problem in the Laker game the other day when it just barely lost by a bucket, where he had a few plays where he did that hard stop right under the basket and he, you know, he really he had his feet spread apart. It was a very awkward stance, and he couldn't quite jump out of it to you know, get an easy finish. And so he had to put up a tough finish, and he ended, ended up rolling out. And so it's, it's those little things like that that just show that the margin's a little bit you know, lower than it used to be for him. And so that's why I think he's in the perfect position where it can, you know, he can get away with not, not being able to make some of those finishes because he's on a team with so many great finishers. So. I think it covers up for some of the weaknesses that are still there for him pretty well. Jared Weiss covers the Boston Celtics for the Athletic. Jared, we really appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you having me on.